What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Strong Thoughts, the anti-influencer podcast. I'm your host, Ben Skutnik, and I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're back, and I'm glad you've been thinking. I assume you've been thinking if you're still listening to this podcast. Today, I wanted to continue from the last episode, this idea of appealing to authority or the appeal of authority. Before we dive into that, if you haven't checked out episode two, that discusses the foundational topics that we need to be clear on. That is signal, uh, noise, and bias. Excuse me, sorry. Signal, noise, and bias. Signal is the message. Noise is what the influencers are using, the strategies they're using to detract us from the true message. And bias is the overall average of that noise. So check out episode two if you need more information on that. Last episode, we talked about the appeal to authority and how there's a difference between being an authority and being an expert. And you can be both, but not all authorities are experts. And that's important to understand. And there's different ways that one can become an authority. And one way is by creating an artificial environment, which we see in social media, where they tailor the comments, they pull out the negative comments, and they gain a following that then creates momentum for them. The algorithm spits it out, uh, that they can get more reach, and so on and so forth. Another way to become an authority is to get tapped by... A fellow authority and where we see this happen quite a bit is not so much well we do see it in social media but more often than not we see it in books and it's in these books that they often have a foreword and in these forewords they the authors tap a colleague who they think will help add legitimacy to whatever they're writing about because the thing about books is that they're not fact-checked right And we'll talk more about this. I have a whole train of thought on the damage that uh, the current narrative around reading is causing uh, in terms of thinking. But these books aren't fact-checked. They're not like peer-reviewed literature. They are simply narratives, crafted narratives to get a point across, much like documentaries, right? Documentaries are not the whole story. They're just a portion of the story or a perspective on a story that has its own narrative. And so the book that I want to talk about today is a book that I'm actually doing a forensic review on, um, just as kind of a passion project, because it's adjacent to my field of study. I'm a pulmonary physiologist, pulmonary exercise physiologist. And this book, The Oxygen Advantage by Patrick McEwen, has popped up in quite a bit of influencers' mm, narratives, right? And... I thought I'd dive into it and see if the research supports what they say, because at surface value, what I've seen through social media, I do not think it does. And so that's going to be a longer process. It's turning out to be a much longer process than I thought it was going to be. But today, I want to simply do an analysis for you to do some applied skepticism on the foreword of the book. And the foreword of this book is written by Dr. Joseph Merkula. And if that name sounds familiar, well, that makes sense given the current times we're in because Dr. Joseph Merkula is uh, a prominent uh, alternative medicine uh, proponent. And so he is often one of the big voices when it comes to the vaccination issue. And we're not going to dive into that. I don't want to dive into that because 
frankly, I don't care uh, to dive into that. But he is uh, firmly sitting in the alternative medicine, despite being a doctor. He is an osteopath uh, by trade, uh, but he is no longer practicing because he has a company that specializes in selling natural supplements, which we will talk about in a second. So Dr. Joseph Merkula, who has no necessarily expertise in breathing, no expertise in oxygen kinetics, no expertise in pulmonary physiology, is writing this forward for a book that is all about how we need to change our breathing for better health. That, that right there is the first red flag, right? Because now when we delineate between uh, authority and an expert, he has no expertise in this uh, field, so he is simply an authority. But let's see what he says. All right, it's a short forward. It's about one page long. And he hits really three different points. So he opens the forward talking about high altitude dwellers. And so these would be people who live in the Himalayas, who live in the Andes Mountains, uh, and who live in the Rocky Mountains. And we know, and then science does support this, uh, and he mentions it as well, that those who live at high altitudes typically live longer. And there's a lot of mechanisms at play, and he says one that is a potential mechanism is the reduced pressure of oxygen in that environment. And that's absolutely true. We, uh, the scientific community, agree with that. The researchers agree with that. There's other things at play, probably, like nutrition as well, uh, and just general activity. But, uh, yeah, for sure, we see differences in their mitochondrial density, differences in their oxidative capacities, and we attribute that to the differences in oxygen at those higher altitudes. So the premise of his foreword is that low oxygen or low pressure of oxygen is a key component to living longer. Okay, so now he goes from there to equating oxygen to calories. He mentions how caloric restriction has been shown to increase lifespan, which there's some debate around that, but for the most part, I think it's agreed upon. And so he equates oxygen to the calorie in that if low oxygen environments promote longer lives, then high oxygen environments detract from longer lives. And he even goes so far to say that excess oxygen can prematurely damage your tissues. And he uses the concept of free radicals, which is a, a molecule, a free radical is a molecule brought upon by oxidative stress. And so he's equating oxidative stress with excess oxygen. And that's seemingly correct, right? Too much oxygen will oxidize whatever. We see that on cars all the time, right? The cars rust out because there's too much, too much oxygen. However, the problem with biological systems is they're not in a vacuum. Too much oxygen alone might cause that damage, but we live in a biological uh, system that is full of checks and balances. One way that we create those checks and balances is, well, when do we see a high amount of oxygen? During things like exercise, right? We get a lot of oxidative stress there. Well, if we are exercising, what else are we doing? We're probably eating. And guess what is full of antioxidants? Food. Food is full of antioxidants. Vitamin C is probably the most notable antioxidant. Uh, fruits and veggies, full of antioxidants. So there's a checks and balance system there. So he attributes 
excess breathing to excess oxygen and excess oxygen to excess damage. So the oxygen to damage is not as clear cut. The excess breathing to excess oxygen is also not clear because if we look at blood saturation levels, we are relatively maxed out to begin with, right? Our blood is 100% or 98% saturated uh, without exercise. And what that means is our blood is carrying almost as much oxygen as it can at all times. And so breathing more doesn't super load oxygen, right? We can't load more than 100%. And so it's just not, although it's seemingly clear the connection that he's making, it's not actually physiologically sound. In fact, uh, one step further, and I'll maybe drop this in the, um, the show notes, but it's a review from 2019, I believe, from the International Journal of General Medicine, and it talks about hypoxia and hyperbaric oxygen therapy. So hypoxia is that environment in low oxygen. Hyperbaric oxygen therapy is when we put somebody in an artificial environment and overload them with oxygen, meaning that we now increase the amount of oxygen in the environment. And hyperbaric oxygen therapy has been shown in recent years to help with a whole plethora of diseases, help patients recover, help patients manage these diseases. And so counter to what Dr. Merkel is saying with unsubstantiated claims, it's actually a good thing to have more oxygen. So if we could, we should. So that's the first part that's kind of a issue. He makes these claims with no evidence, and then the actual evidence seems to be going against it. From there, he goes to altitude training in athletes. And altitude training in athletes is this concept where endurance athletes specifically will go from sea level to altitude. So in the U.S., we're looking at going into the Rockies or going down to Flagstaff, Arizona. Those are the two big altitude camps. Mexico City is also a big altitude uh, training center. But these athletes go there because there is something that occurs when living at altitude for an extended period of time. Your body detects the hypoxic environment, the low oxygen environment, and it counters that by upregulating a substance called EPO. And EPO, if that sounds familiar, is because it is typically at the heart of most doping scandals, specifically with endurance athletes. Recently, a UFC champion, TJ Dillashaw, was popped for doping with EPO. Lance Armstrong's entire doping rings was dealing with EPO. And what EPO does is it increases the amount of red blood cells in your blood. Well, if we increase the amount of red blood cells, and red blood cells carry oxygen, by doping with EPO, increasing red blood cells, we can increase the oxygen content of our blood. And so Merkula says that's a good thing because then we can increase our oxygen carrying capacity and then increase our VO2 max. So right now what he's done is he's made first a case that excess oxygen causes excess damage. But in the very next paragraph he talks about how it would be a good thing to superload our blood with oxygen. So he's already giving us uh, incongruent arguments, right? And that's another 
point of skepticism is to just make sure do your arguments fall in line? Do they follow the same train of logic? And in this case, they don't. But what he's done is he's used some scientific jargon to confuse the lay person to think that, yes, this is all making sense. Now, he also missteps by saying that simply boosting the uh, oxygen content of your blood will boost your VO2. There are more things that rely on uh, that your VO2 relies on VO2 max, which is your maximum oxygen capacity, uh, consumption capacity, excuse me. There's multiple mechanisms that are at play there, but that's beside the point. He is um, kind of talking both sides of the argument now. We don't want too much oxygen, but we also want more than enough. And so then he goes into saying how this applies to us. Well, he says, most of us live our lives close to sea level, so we do not achieve this benefit right? True. Most of us don't live at altitude. At least altitude's high enough for this to be something we can capitalize on. So then he says we can use breathing protocols to lower the levels of oxygen in our blood to get the same effect as living at altitude. Fundamentally, this is incorrect because altitude training or living at altitude is a long process. It's not simply just going up to altitude and you immediately feel these effects. There's a few days of negative effects if you go from sea level to altitude. But more than anything, coming back down, the benefits are not permanent. In fact, they're pretty transient. Living at altitude for a couple weeks, you only have a couple days at sea level to capitalize on those benefits. And again, this is supported in the science. Maybe I'll drop a review um, from... Dr. Rob Chapman, who was one of my um, I, one of the faculty members during my PhD studies, he is the head physiologist for USA Track and Field, and he is what the world would consider an expert in altitude training and altitude uh, effects of altitude on athletes. So I'll drop some of that in the show notes as well, so you can look through to see exactly how that works if you're interested in it. But essentially, what Dr. Merkel is saying is that. By changing the breathing, by limiting the amount of breaths we take, we can get the effects of altitude training while not being at altitude. So that's wrong. And then he closes it with saying, many may know that I'm a major fan of using simple, inexpensive lifestyle changes to avoid expensive and dangerous medications and surgeries. And he goes on to say that this is something that we should all use for health. So remember, Dr. Joseph Merkel is the head or the owner or the proprietor of a natural supplement company. In fact, uh, during an affidavit, he said he is worth uh, an excess of $100 million. So yeah, you know he's a major fan of people using simple remedies because it pads his pockets, right? So again, part of skepticism is just understanding where the arguments are coming from. His argument is coming from his bank account. Now, it's interesting because he has a doctor says that this is a great way to support health. But two pages before this in the book is a page that's titled Some Important Guidelines Before We Begin. I'm going to read a couple quotes from this. Just as high-intensity exercise is suited only to individuals with reasonably good health and fitness, those with any medical issues should refrain from practicing any of the exercises that simulate high-altitude training. So that is from the author, Patrick McEwen. So now we have an incongruent message again. 
practicing these techniques are the healthy way to avoid surgery, avoid medicines, blah, blah, blah. But hey, if you're unhealthy, don't do it. Doesn't seem that this is really all that it's cracked up to be, right? And that's just what I got from the forward. Like I said, I'm going to go through and do a little bit more forensic analysis and maybe put that together in a series of podcasts for you all because it's important. It's important to know that what we have here is a classic appeal to authority, not fact-checked, not requiring to support any evidence. There were no citations in Dr. Merkula's uh, foreword, and yet he comes off spewing uh, rhetoric like he is a renowned expert in this field, when in fact he's not. He has no training in it, uh, besides maybe the one or two classes he got in his DO school. Now, I want to go back to the idea of not just tracking the evidence, but tracking the individuals making the claims. Merkula uh, supports this because he says he supports uh, alternative or what, safe. He, he paints the picture that traditional medicine is dangerous and expensive, right? His exact quote is... Yeah, I'm a major fan of using simple, inexpensive lifestyle changes to avoid expensive and dangerous medications and surgeries. Well, he is worth $100 million off of his inexpensive supplements, right? So it's important to understand that where he is coming from is not a truly just narrative as well. And you might say, well, you know, don't hate the player hate the game. Sure. But the problem is he is one of the loudest voices against medicine, right? He's one of the loudest voices against a lot of these things. And so by him espousing himself as an expert when he's simply an authority is dangerous because his underlying Um, motives here are not for the good of the individual they're for the good of himself and so he can make his own capital gains on it he also if you look has quite a few books in kind of similar fields uh, straying from his expertise which is being a DO which is uh, you know practicing medicine a little bit adjacent to traditional medicine, but he is often cited as making claims that it's big business and big medicine that are risking individuals, uh, risking individuals' health, right, for the bottom line. I don't know about you, but $100 million seems like big business to me. So, again, the incongruency in his message adds noise to the signal, All right, so that's just a little bit of an applied skepticism, right? Again, I don't intend for this podcast to necessarily attack individuals. I'm not trying to attack Dr. Merkula, but I do need to point out that that forward is rife with misinformation according to a more rigorous set of standards, which is science. If you enjoyed this, let me know. Uh, subscribe. We're on iTunes and Spotify now. Give a rating. Leave a comment. Uh, if you have any questions, email strongthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. I hope you enjoyed this. 
if you have any other messages that you think maybe you could use some help deciphering, I'd be glad to help. Just drop an email. DM me on Instagram. You can find me at Ben Skutnik. That's at B-E-N-S-K-U-T-N-I-K. And until next time, keep thinking.